I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. of the dead. So they arrested them and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who heard the word believed and they numbered about 5,000 now. The next day their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were in the high priestly family. When they had made, when they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, by what power or, or by what name did you do all of this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who is sick and are asked how this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no one under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. 
Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and ordinary men, they were amazed and recognized them as companions of Jesus. When they saw the man who had been cured standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition, so they ordered them to leave the council while they discussed the matter with one another. They said, what will we do with them then? For it is obvious to all who live in Jerusalem that a notable sign has been done through them. We can't deny it. <clears throat> but to keep it from spreading further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and heard. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. The stone the builder rejected has become the cornerstone. Some time ago, there was an article in Time magazine which described how over 100,000 former Christians have downloaded certificates of de-baptism in a bid to publicly reject the faith. The website that sponsors this whole thing is, is sponsored by the National Secular Society of London. It, it invites visitors to liberate themselves from the original mumbo-jumbo that liberated you from the original sin you never actually had and allows you to print out a paper certificate that uses quasi-formal language to reject baptisms, creeds, and other such superstitions imposed on you in your youth. It also says churches, churches have become so reactionary. Churches have been, become so concerned with the morals of the people. Churches have become so institutional and so actively hostile that we, we just reject them altogether. He says that every time a preacher or a religious leader says something outrageous, like hateful comments towards Muslims or, or calling um, gays an abomination or, or blaming the poor for their poverty, every time a preacher does this, they get another rush of emails saying, I'd like one of those certificates, one of those de-baptism certificates. And of course there is a, a tidy profit to be made off of this. <laughs> you can get these certificates printed on parchment paper for $4.50, and that adds up over time. And it seems to be catching on in Europe. In Italy, the Union of Rationalist Atheists and Agnostics sponsored the country's first de-baptism day, in which uh, no longer faithful people, people who are rejecting the church, could participate in a de-baptism ceremony and then have a signed form of de-baptism. I, I have no idea what this looks like, except I started looking for pictures online of what this looks like, and it just shows this man with what looks like a uh, hair dryer um, on backwards of the sucking mechanism sucking out of you your baptism. I wonder what they would say at something like this. Um, so I wonder, it would probably, I mean, I 
de-baptize you in the name of of what? What like what is it in the name of? I de-baptize you in the name of of secular humanism, I, like in the name of atheists and agnostics. Like I de-baptize you in the name of of the god of the self. I, I don't I like I don't I don't know. That, that's maybe. <laughs> And I don't want to make too light of this or spend too much time on it. The, the, the whole sermon, I, I mean, I could talk about this forever and give you the theology of baptism, emphasizing that baptism is, isn't so much about, about something that we do, but rather is a response to something that God has done in us. It's an acknowledgement that God has already acted in our lives way before we were aware of it, before and whether or not we are baptized or de-baptized. And, and no cert certificate could take that away from us, God's love and grace poured into our lives. No ceremony can diminish the power of God through water to cleanse our lives. But if, if, we, if, we, face, you know, if we face the facts, many of, of the critics, many of these de-baptizers um, who have rejected the church, they make some valid points. All too often, we have put the, the purity of, of dogma, the emphasis on, um, on morality, ahead of, of the, the integrity of love. And, and I, like, I, mean, I like a good wine metaphor. And so I, I, you could say all, all too often we have taken the, the kind of rich, sparkling effervescence of a really good sparkling rosé and replaced it with like a dull convenience store jug wine, and then we just pour it out into the world. All too often, Christians have misused the faith as a substitute for thought and um, moralistic um, accusations and, and, and institutional memory, um, when, when really thought, <laughs> um, substituting thought for, for faith, it, it doesn't make sense. It's what what makes good thinking happen, what makes a good life happen, it's made possible by faith. And so it goes without saying that the stumbling block for most people who reject the church, most very sensitive non-believers, is not Christ, but Christians. Especially when Christians are so tied to uses of control and power, that we don't really leave any room left for the spirit of Christ to liberate lives or, or even institutions. And so that's what we seek to do here in this kind of crazy environment of church that we call the Kingstown Communion. We seek to liberate lives, but we also seek to liberate the institution of the church and, and that is in so many ways and so many places kind of been bound up by like kind of carelessly doling out convenience store wine, you know? We are seeking to restore something. As Ann Dillard says, what a tragedy that so closely on the hills, the heels of Christ came the Christians. <laughs> so we find ourselves in Acts. And so closely on the heels of Christ, came the Christians. And Peter and John, two of, of Jesus's early apostles who were trying to hold together Jewish heritage and 
the rituals alongside this new transformation they were experiencing in Christ. They, they insisted on visiting the temple in Jerusalem still on the Sabbath, but also sharing together in Christian community the rest of the week. They, they held the life of the institution in collaboration with this new thing that God was doing in the world. They observed the Jewish festivals, feasting together in Jewish ritual, and then they took that bread and wine, and they, they took that celebratory feast, knowing that it had been reframed, reinstituted by Jesus mere months before, and they shared it in homes, and, and they took it into courtyards. By candlelight, they, they gathered for food and conversation and community long into the evening while like kids ran around in the courtyards and stories are being told and healing begins and Jew and Gentile people that never hung out together before learned to celebrate the work of God together in their midst. And they learned, they learned how to throw a party together. In today's scripture, we find Peter and John completing their Sabbath ritual. They're, they're, they're not anti-institution. They're on their Sabbath pilgrimage to the temple about three o'clock in the afternoon. And on the way there, they see a man who has been lame since birth by the gate as they enter Jerusalem. The magic of the table kind of gets into you. It takes residence inside of you. And so Peter and John Having witnessed people's lives being changed and healed, they couldn't help but on the way to the temple stop and meet this man. And Peter says, I have no gold or, or silver for you, but what I have, I, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who has healed my broken places in my life, stand up and walk so that he might heal yours too. And this man not only stands and walks, but it says he starts leaping around in exultation and delight and celebration, this kind of new party thrower that's been birthed into the kingdom of God. And one would think that the whole community, when this happens, would start leaping around as well. That they, they might have if Peter had kept his mouth shut. But the exuberance just kind of flowed out of him. Peter couldn't keep from sharing the goodness of God with onlookers gathered around marveling at this man who was once lame and is now dancing. Peter exclaims, I wasn't the one who did this. It, it, it wasn't our power that did this. It was the power of God and the power of faith in the name of Jesus that made this all happen. And then he kept preaching. You can almost picture him standing on courtyard tables now, and people are starting to take seats around him, pulling up a seat to witness the spectacle that's happening, until finally Peter and John are rejected. Whispers grow in the crowd. Someone tells someone else who tells someone else who tells their priest. <laughs> that Peter and John are up to something very strange at Jerusalem's gates. The nosy rosies get involved. 
I heard that's what you use. The, the, so the nosy rosies start doing their thing and they get involved and people post on the community Facebook group of Jerusalem <laughs> that they don't really like the attention that this person is bringing to their neighborhood and how, how dare anything holy or unexplainable happen outside the walls of the temple. Like, like signs, like church signs on Morning View Drive. Peter and John are picked up and carried off to some <laughs> imprisonment, <laughs> and they don't know where they go. They appear before the big guns of faith, and there are priests and, and, and captains of the temple. I love that it says the captain of the temple. I don't even know what that means. And Sadducees, and, and they, they aren't singing hallelujahs because this desperately needy man was healed today. They're angry. And the reason for the backlash comes clearly in their question. By what power did you do this? Who, who do you think you are? See how adept they were at, at kind of reframing the issue? The issue is no longer healing or, or love or neighborliness or resurrection or compassion or mercy. Now the issue has become about power. Who has the power? They did not ask, how did this come to be? Or what is the meaning of this? They asked, where did you get the power to do this? Who authorized you, who gave you permission to be in this area? Who gave you permission to be here? And they were rejected. But the stone that was rejected became the cornerstone of the church. And, and the temple was not the only one to blame. Every person who told a person, who told a person, who told their priest, who sent some temple guards this tempting scheme to keep control. We've been kind of brainwashed by this scheme to keep things in control, to keep the church in its place, to keep the status quo kind of operating. They wanted religious people to remain in their box. We, have, we know what the church is, we know what the church is for, to be faithful, prayerful people, but to do so under this exclusive banner of the temple, under its feasts and its festivals and its cross and its steeple and under its protocols, Peter and John were rejected. There were many who did not like the line they were treading, but it says the movement grew that day to 5,000. What we find again and again in these stories of the early church in Acts is this first century kind of pandemic of the Holy Spirit that just spreads like wildfire. The followers of Jesus could not be contained by normal channels or regulated by rules and, and structures. So the gospel writer Luke is the one who actually wrote the book of Acts too. And, and notice how he viewed religious authority in this book. And he was known for this all throughout the gospel, too. Religious authority and institutional structures, he was not an anti-institutionalist. 
If I had a dime for everyone who said to me, I'm spiritual but not religious, I could retire right now. But Luke, Luke was actually pro-temple, pro-religious institution. Right after Pentecost, the gift of the Holy Spirit to the church falls, and he writes that the followers of Jesus spent much time together still in the temple. Remember when, when Peter and John were going, um, when, they, when they came across the beggar, they, they were on their way to the temple to pray. This is not, there's not a juxtaposition. There's not, this is not one or the other. These two go together, the institution and innovation. And in these early chapters depicting the first century church, we find that the Christian movement already had its own organizational structure. They did meals pretty regularly, fellowship and prayer on a regular schedule. They had their evangelism programs and their outreach to the poor. It's in Acts 2. And so the issue in the scripture before us is not anti-institutionalism in nature. We don't have to reject tradition and an institution to be a new church in the community of Kingstown because the gospel of Jesus Christ is worth instituting. No, something else is happening in this. Tom Long, one of my favorite theologians, says when he was asked the question, is the institution responsible? responsive to the spirit can the institution be responsive to the spirit or is it always curved in on itself and he answers whenever political or religious authorities set themselves up as the only legitimate broker of what people need and defend that authority inevitably the holy spirit comes in and breaks all of that down this is why this summer we are, as a church, not creating new programs for Kingstown. We're not saying that we're what you need. We've got the answers. Here's, here's where we're, you're going to find the holiest people. The children's ministry that's going to whip your toddler into shape. <laughs> here's where you're going to find sermons that are just enlighten you to euphoria. Here's where you're going to find music that's going to pull you out of your depression. We're not saying that to anyone. Instead, we've set aside two priorities <laughs> to dig into table life together and to send people out, not to be brokers on behalf of the church, not to exclaim to the world that we are the only legitimate brokers of what the world needs, but to be good neighbors and to listen, and to receive, and to share, and to celebrate, and to create spaces for healing and transformation. And some will reject you. Have I told you how hard it is to create common tables? <laughs> this goes up against everything out there orders existence around it really it just it just butts up against it it challenges control it challenges the status quo you see these these temple authorities and acts were not interested in the spirit they were interested in temple authority for its own sake by what power do you do these things? They wanted to know who, who told you you could do this in your community? Who said you could take that kind of initiative? 
And the message was clear. If the disciples wanted to do this religious business in Jerusalem, they needed to get a license by the temple that would give them their power to, to make it happen. They were the power brokers. That's the kind of authority that needs to be questioned, they thought. By the power of the name of Jesus, Peter said, that power can be threatening and frightening, and it will, it will invite rejection. It can be a scary thing when our institutions are responsive to the Holy Spirit, which wrestles with power and control. The Sadducees, bless their hearts, just wanted to protect their culture. That's all they wanted. Their way of life, their tradition, what they always knew, their faith, from the threat of corruption, of new ideas and new practices. They, they weren't bad people. None of these people are bad people. Let's be clear. They just insist on, on hanging on to the old that has been handed down through the centuries to, to keep things stable and peaceful and quiet. But the kind of neighborliness, the kind of community, the, the kind of feasting and taking the table into the world that we're trying to embody here, um, it, it, it can be misunderstood. It can result in rejection. This kind of openness, this kind of listening, this kind of healing is salvation for people. It's a way toward wholeness. We, as we work together on behalf of those who are in isolation, who live consumeristic lives, who are disconnected and disordered and, and disillusioned and lonely and, and, and fearful and, and all the things we are too, right? It is because of the spirit of the risen Christ that we are able to draw wider circles of friendship, of inclusivity, of, of appreciation, and at the expense of rejection, dare to think of the church not as the broker of what people need, but the place that creates space for mutually needy people. Could it be that the, the spirit of Christ is warming our hearts and, and gradually kind of prying open our fists to this? And, and it's scary, I know. Peter was so alive that, that the spirit took him to an upside down crucifixion. As for me though, as for me, I'll take my cues from Jesus of Nazareth, who crossed every boundary, who broke down every barrier, who manifests his freedom and, and called others to their own freedom. I'll take my cues from the risen Christ, who, whose words to Mary at the tomb were, do not be afraid. I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we say at our baptisms, which means, of course, that God is never through with us. The God who created, created in us the very image of God loves us all, and the Son who came not to condemn but to bring healing and salvation, that spirit which challenges and confronts even long-held assumptions so that we might leap and dance this newfound freedom, that that's the power that cannot be thwarted even through some certificate, the power that cannot be thwarted in the face of rejection, for it was the stone of Christ Jesus that was first rejected by the builder, rejected by us.
rejected for us in order that we, undergirded by, by the cornerstone of Jesus, may become like living, breathing, walking, talking, eating, dancing stones planted in the world 